0: y'all, and welcome to Feasting on Truth. I'm Erin Warren, and we are studying through the narrative of the wilderness story. This week we are in numbers 13 and 14, and I gotta be honest, this week hit me pretty hard. Most of the weeks leading up to this one, we have seen God's character through provision and miracles and power. And yes, we see the Israelites doubt and question and break their covenant, but this week hit home. It's a hard thing to see ourselves in the story of the Israelites, to see our own faithlessness, our own idolatry, our own disbelief in the promises of God. I wish it was a happy week, but like so many others, we see that even when we are in the wilderness by our own actions, our unfaithful acts do not nullify the faithfulness of God. The picture we get of the God who remains steadfast and faithful this week blew me away. Here is week six of Stories from the Wilderness. Welcome to week six of
1: Stories from the Wilderness tonight. We are in numbers 13 and 14, and um, I wish I could say this was a happy week. Um, but honestly, it's kind of a sober, sobering week, and it's one that really begs us to um, ask ourselves some really hard questions, um, and look at our own lives. So, before I jump in, I am going to pray because this is not a fun one to teach through. Um, Lord, God, you are so so patient with us, and Lord, I'm so grateful um that you are long suffering god that you are slow to anger and that you so steadfastly love us and god i pray that as your word goes through my mouth lord that it would fall on fertile soil lord that it would fall and um that it would cause us to move toward you not because of anything i say lord but because of who you are. Let it be what draws us to you. Don't let us continue to repeat the mistakes that um, the Israelites made here in these passages. Lord, let us continue to follow even when it's hard, even when we don't know. Um, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, let's jump right in y'all. So we are in starting in 13. um, Verse one, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel from each tribe of their fathers. You shall send a man, everyone a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were the heads of the people of Israel. And then he goes through this list. Now, I'm not gonna read the list tonight and this is gonna sound so hypocritical what I'm about to say. These lists are so important and um, I'm gonna tell you why in just a minute, but names mean something and genealogies mean something. And so these are really important because we can um, look and find these characters in other places. We can understand their stories, um, but, there's a lot of really twisty <laughs> names. And in the interest of not going long tonight, um, I'm going to jump down to verse 17. So Moses sent all of these 12 men that he just named to spy out the land of Canaan. And he said to them, go up into Negeb and go up into the hill country and see what the land is. And whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land they uh that they dwell in is good or bad and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds and whether the land is rich or poor and whether there are trees in it or not be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes so anytime we see um these time markers like we see in that last verse um that helps us understand the timeline in which this would have been taking place. So this would have been late summer, early fall, um, probably August or September by our months. Um, And so it's a few months after leaving Mount Sinai. So remember last week, there was a command to leave Sinai. um, And so they are headed from Sinai toward the promised land. They are still being led by God in the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. He's still sending them manna. They are still, um, by this point now, they have the tabernacle. And so as they move, that gets packed up and then reset up and God is leading his people. And remember, we ended last week talking about sometimes they would stay a couple days, sometimes a week, sometimes a month, sometimes longer. So they have moved toward the promised land. And this, because of that um, time marker, we know that this is probably roughly six to eight months after leaving Egypt. So we're still within this first year, um, and even really within um, the first few months of um, them leaving Egypt uh, in the grand scheme of what's about to happen. Um, So God says to men, send men to spy out the land that He, again, is giving the people of Israel one from each tribe, and among them, there should be two familiar names. That would be Caleb and Hosea, which um, your Bible will point out is Joshua. Um, We have seen Joshua's name several places, several times throughout our story, but this is the first mention we see of Caleb, and this is why it's so important. Do not miss that he comes from the line of Judah. And this is important because eventually that line of Judah is where we see the pre, the king, the royal line come from. That is the line that David comes from, um, not necessarily directly from Caleb, but from the tribe of Judah. And so it's important because Um, The tribe of Judah continues to be a representation of the remnant of God and so we're going to see that again here. So, um, and it is ultimately the line that um, Jesus comes from as well is from the tribe of Judah. And that's why names are important because we can see patterns among um, certain family groups, you know we saw that as and we're going to see that today again as we study here, some of these people groups, when they defeated the Amalekites, we saw that they were, we were able to go back and see that they were um, descendants of Esau. And we understood why they were, where they were in the wilderness because of the curse and the blessing that was placed on Esau. So Moses gives these 12 men eight instructions. He says, go up into the hill country. And he gives them this instruction to basically spy out the entire region. So go the whole region of of Canaan throughout the whole promised land. Are the people strong or weak? Are the people few or many? Is the land good or bad? Are the cities camps or strongholds? Are they small? Are they big? That's kind of what that means. Um, Are they fortified or are they um, vulnerable? Is the land rich or poor? Are there trees in it? And he tells them to bring back some of the fruit of the land and we see that the people did exactly what God asked them to do so they went and they spied out the land in verse 23 and they came to the valley of a I probably should have looked up how to say that and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes and they carried it on the pole between them they also brought some figs and pomegranates And that place was called the Valley of Eshol because of the cluster that the people of Israel cut down from there. So that word means cluster. Verse 25. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to all to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land and they told them we came to the land which you sent us it was flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit however the people who dwell there are in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large and besides that we saw the descendants of Anak there And the Amalekites dwell in the land of Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let's go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with them said, we are not able to go up against these people, for they are stronger than we are. So They brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak who come from Nephilim and seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. All right, so let me make a quick reference to the Nephilim. Um, So this is a reference back to early in Genesis, and these were a, it's a very obscure and weird story in scripture, but what's important to note is that takes place before the flood, and so these people would have, those, the actual descendants of Anak would have been destroyed in the flood. And so most likely what they are saying is they are using that because they would have known who those people are as an example to kind of show what these people were like. So it wasn't actually the sons of Anak, but rather a descriptor to explain how these men were big and they were of great height and we seem like grasshoppers to them. Um, And so we see this mixed report as they come back. Um, The land is good. It's flowing with milk and honey. They show them this massive cluster of grapes because they had to carry it on two poles or on a pole. And they say it is indeed a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, this phrase is um, often used to describe the land, but that doesn't mean it literally had rivers of milk and a whole lot of honeybees. Um, This pointed, it was language that would have pointed to the abundance, to the prosperity of that land. Um, It had an abundance of natural resources. The milk pointed to animals, not just for their milk, but also for food, clothes, tents, the 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 other aspects of goats and sheep, um, you know, the wool to make clothes, the hides to make um, for their tents, things like that. The honey is not what we think of as honeybees, but more likely the nectar or the syrup that they would get from the fruits. Um, It really points to the cultivation of fruits and vegetables. What the land flowing of milk and honey means is that it is a very fertile area And even extra biblical texts point to that being true of this strip of um, Canaan through the promised land. Um, So they go, this is the land that is everything we dreamed of, but the people there and the cities there are another story. They said the people are strong. Um, The cities are fortified and very large. We're like grasshoppers to them. And they name off what should by now be extreme, very familiar names to us. The Amalekites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, and the Canaanites. Um, And they say, we can't go up against these people because they're stronger than us. Y'all, they have been told from the beginning. Remember when I said on week one to remember what Moses says to them, what God says to them about the people. He's saying um, he names them for a purpose. And it's because from the beginning, in Genesis 15, 18 through 21, God made a covenant with Abram. He said, On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring, I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites, the Kenezites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Parasites the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Did you hear? He told Abram hundreds of years earlier, all those people's names. Moses, he tells Moses from the burning bush in Exodus 3, seven through eight, I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Parasites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And then again, in Exodus 13, that we studied earlier, when he, they've left Egypt and they're celebrating the Feast of Unleavened Bread, he says, today in the month of Abib, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing in milk and honey, you shall keep this service. He just told them again a couple months ago at Mount Sinai when he makes the covenant with his people in Exodus 23. that if you carefully obey my voice and do all I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. When my angel goes out before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Jebusites, I will blot them out. You shall not bow down to their gods or serve them nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars into pieces. And then again, when they broke the covenant with the golden calf and God so graciously meets them and renews the covenant in Exodus 34, 11, observe what I've commanded you on this day. Behold, I will drive out the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Y'all, they have heard this. Over and over and over and over. God has said he is going to give them the land. He is going to drive out their enemies. He is going to to do this. All he called them to do is to follow him in obedience. The truth is they were not wrong. Their enemy was great. Their cities were strongholds. The people were giants but they forgot one very important factor in all of this. They forgot the faithfulness and the power of the one who is leading them. God said he would drag them out. We uh, don't skip over our names and genealogies because they mean something. There are a lot in these first five books. Um, And we need to remember the context. Remember that this was written to tell the Israelites who their God is and where they came from. And in your homework this week, you went back to find the origins of some of these people groups. And the reason why Israel will take possession of their land. Um, remember God's name from last week. He will by no means clear the, the guilty and, and, and he will visit the iniquity of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. They are going into this land that God gave them. And I know that this sounds really cruel. Like they're going in, they're gonna, they're gonna destroy these people. But, but these are people who are not following God. And God owns the land. Like he has promised to give it to them. And the 10 spies come and say, we can't do it. But there's one who speaks up. It is Caleb in verse 30. He quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it. For we are well able to overcome it. In English, Caleb's name means faithful and bold. It's actually one of my son's middle names. He's named after him. And we see here him acting in in accordance with that name. He is trusting in the faithfulness of God and he is boldly standing up for God's truth when the people wouldn't do it. And even though he tries his best, they won't listen. They feared what stood before them more than they trusted the God who had displayed his power and might. So Deuteronomy one, the book of Deuteronomy starts with a parallel to- telling of this story. It's actually told Moses in first person is kind of retelling the story. And in verses 29 through 33, we see Moses pointing to the people, all the places where God has been faithful to them. He said, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord, your God, who's going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the wilderness. There you saw how the Lord carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. In spite of this, you did not trust the Lord, your God, who went ahead of you on your journey in fire by night and in a cloud by day to search out the place for you to camp to show you the way in which you should go. He pointed them to God's faithfulness, to God's provision, saying he has said all along he'll do these things and he's doing them. And they still wouldn't listen. Chapter 14, then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said what that we would have died in the land of Egypt or what that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword and our wives and our little ones will become a prey? Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose another leader and go back to Egypt. We hear their familiar complaint again that it would have been better to die in Egypt. But then they even say, it would have been better to die in this wilderness. And they add that now they're gonna die in battle and their wives and children are gonna become plunder. And they say, let's elect a new leader and let's go back to Egypt. They take this a step further this time. Like they're done. They're like, we cannot trust God anymore. And it was even more that they didn't trust God. It's that they felt like God had deceived them. And Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh were among those who had spied out the land. um, Who were among those who had spied out the land? Tore their clothes, and they said to the congregation of the people of Israel, "The land." which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones but the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. Like they're grieving Moses and Aaron and Caleb and Joshua are grieving what they are seeing in these people. They have been leading them for six to eight months. And here they are on the doorstep of the promised land and they want to go back and they beg them and they say, it's exceedingly good what God wants to give us. He, if he delights in us, their protection is removed. Nothing will stand in our way. But they wouldn't listen. And as they're about ready to stone them, God's glory lights up the camp. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I have done among them, I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they god says enough i've done the signs i've rescued them i've provided them they've won battles because of me and still they will not follow and again god says i'm going to strike them down and i'm going to start over and moses because of his great love for his people and for the nation of israel once again goes and intercedes on behalf of the people verse 13 But Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear of it, for you brought up this people in your might from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of the people. For you, O Lord, are seen face to face. That's that same uh, phrase we heard last week. And your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill this people as one man then the nations who have heard of your fame will say it is because the Lord was not able to bring his people into the land that he swore to give them that he has killed them in the wilderness. And now please let the power of the Lord be great as you have promised, saying the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but by no means will clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation. Please pardon the iniquity of the people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven the people from Egypt till now. Moses again appeals to God's glory and God's character and says, don't wipe them out for the sake of your name because you are slow to anger. Remember we talked about how that literally means that he is long of nose, that it takes a long time for God's face to burn with anger. Y'all, he may be slow to anger, but justice will come. One day, the ark door closed. Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed and a continual repeated denial of who God is, a refusal to submit has a time limit. And that's what happens here. Verse 20, then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. You forgave them. But truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have put me to the test these 10 times and have not obeyed my voice." shall see the land that I swore to give to my fathers and none of those who despise me shall see it but my servant Caleb because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully I will bring him into the land into which he went and his descendants shall possess it now since the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valleys turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by way of the Red Sea. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron saying, how long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I've heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me, say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness and all of your number listed in the census from 20 years and upward who have grumbled against me. Not one shall come into the land that I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. But your little ones, who you said would become a prey, I will bring them in, and they shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in the wilderness, and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years, and shall suffer for your faithlessness, Until the day your bodies, dead bodies, lie in the wilderness. According to the number of days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, a year for each day, you shall bear the iniquity 40 years, and you shall know my displeasure. I, the Lord, has spoken. Surely this will I do to all the wicked congregation who are gathered against me. In this wilderness, they shall come to a full end, and there they shall die. And the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land who returned and made the congregation grumble against him, bringing up a bad report about the land, the men who brought a bad report about the land died before the Lord by plague. And of those men who went to spy out the land, only Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, remained alive. Because of their sin, because of their continual rejection, of God's provision for them, because they could not trust God's word, because they didn't believe in his faithfulness, that God would keep his promise. They now get exactly what they said. They became a self-fulfilling prophecy. Their bodies will fall in the wilderness. And did you see how many times in that passage he, re- he repeated, your dead bodies will fall in this wilderness. They will not enter the promised land. In verse 22, it says, They tested him these 10 times. In scripture, the number 10 points us to completion. And so he's saying, You have completely tested me. And because you have completely tested me, you will not enter the promised land. And he tells them to go and turn toward the wilderness. And if you look in your map in the book, you will see a U turn and they have to head back. They rejected God's good provision for them, and because of it, y'all, they were right there. They were standing on the edge of the promised land. They were about to go to the place where hundreds of years before God had promised their forefather Abram would be their land. And because they didn't trust God to do what he said he didn't, they didn't take him at his word. And they weren't willing to walk in obedience of God. They now found themselves turning away. And the children that they said would be their plunder, that would be the prey, they are now not going to suffer at the hands of their enemies. They're going to suffer because of their own hands. Because of the sin of their parents, they are going to wander the land for 40 years. But after that, they're going to know the land that their fathers rejected. And God spares himself a remnant in Joshua and Caleb. And he says, he gives this beautiful description of Caleb, that he has a different spirit and he followed God fully. The word different literally means another, but it It means one coming behind. Caleb was one who was coming behind God. He was fully, completely following wholeheartedly. He wasn't just sort of being like, hey, God did some things here and there. And so, you know, I'm going to follow him, but, you know, not this part of my life or not that part of my life. He followed God fully, wholeheartedly. And when Moses said these things to the people of Israel, verse 39, they mourned greatly and they rose up early and they went to the heights of the hill country saying, here we are. We will go to the place that the Lord has promised for we have sinned. I can just picture them running out going, okay, God, I'm sorry. I'm right here. I'm sorry. But Moses said, why are you now transgressing the command of the Lord when that will not succeed? Do not go up for the Lord is not among you, lest you be struck down before your enemies. For there the Amalekites and the Canaanites are facing you and you shall fall by the sword because you have turned back from following the Lord and the Lord will not be with you. But they presume to go up to the heights of the hill country, although neither the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed from camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in the hill country came down and defeated them and pursued them, even to Horma. At the recognition of their sin, they tried. And they even, even though God had said, turn back and go the other way, you're going back out into the wilderness. They tried, they went into the hill country. They said, okay, we're going to fight. We're going to go. And remember last week and the week before they, God said, my presence will not go with you. And they were mourning greatly that they weren't gonna have God with them anymore. And now we see them step out doing the exact same thing that they feared last week. They went out before them without God's presence and without Moses with them. And they met defeat. The truth is we can't go up against our enemy without him. We cannot defeat anything in our life. We are not capable of even obeying his word if Jesus does not go with us. To face the enemy before us, it requires trust and faith in the one who promised. And we read in Romans, and I have to tell y'all i'm so sorry if you got an earlier copy of this book that you it has the wrong scripture passage in it it should be romans 4 13 through 25 but we see this beautiful passage talking about the faith of abraham the one who god made the promise to give this land um when he did that when he promised that he would be the father of a great nation he had no children But God had promised him that. And um, we see in Romans 4, verse 13, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is adherence of the law who are to be heirs, then faith is null and the promise is void. For if the law brings wrath, um, for the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. So that's Paul fancy talk for uh, if we were able to keep the law, there would be no need for faith and there would be no need for God to promise anything, but that's not the case. Verse 16, that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. He is our life giver. He is our creator, which points to his sovereignty. Um, In hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Just as Abraham and Sarah having this child born at 90 and 100 seemed impossible so is our ability to be saved. It seems impossible, yet we believe, we hope against hope because we know that the one who promised is faithful, that he will do what even seems impossible. When the giants are standing in our way, when our sin stands before us, when giants of fear and gossip and shame and pride and materialism, when those things of this world that Satan beckons us toward and then throws them in our face to shame us for the mistakes that we continue to make, none of it stands in the way of the salvation that awaits us because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And that is the something that we can bank on. We can trust that God's word is true. We can trust that his character is true and we can follow him because we have salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. Sin no longer builds a barrier between us and God. And so today we have a simple choice. Are we going to trust God? Are we going to believe his word? And are we going to let that shape our life? At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus closes with these verses, Matthew 7, 24 through 27. I'm going to actually read these in the NIV. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose and the wind blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. And typically when we read this, our tendency is to pull toward the interpretation that it doesn't matter you know, where we build our house, we're going to face storms in life. And what really matters is who we set is the foundation of our house. But guys, I was listening to a sermon about this last week, and he pointed to this thing that I never noticed before. Both the wise and the foolish man heard the words of Jesus. Both the wise and the foolish man heard God's word and heard what was required of them if they were going to say yes to Jesus. And one chose to build his life on it. And the other one chose to walk away. And the Israelites had this same choice. Were they going to believe that the God who had led them out of Egypt, led them through the Red Sea, led them to victory against the Amalekites, who was raining bread from heaven, who was bringing water from rocks and turning bitter water sweet, leading them to places of rest and refreshment in the midst of their wilderness, who they had seen descend on Mount Sinai, who spoke a covenant with them. And then when they broke it, was faithful to make another covenant, who had been so patient with them, He said, this is what is required to be in relationship with me. And if you do it, you get eternity with me. Will you believe it and build your life upon it? Or will you turn again and again and again, despite the truth of God spoken into your life? Will you turn to the shifting sands of what the world has to offer that cannot stand up to the storms that await us? The choice is yours. Will we follow God wholeheartedly or like the rest? Will we turn away? Matthew Henry said, unbelief overlooks the promises and power of God. It magnifies every danger and difficulty, and it fills the heart with discouragement. May the Lord help us to believe. We shall then find all things possible. Instead of returning to what enslaved us, let's remain with who freed us. Would y'all pray with me? Lord, I want you. God, I want your word to be truth in my life. Lord, I don't want to look upon your word and walk away. And God, it is my prayer that every woman within the sound of my voice, God would have their heart pricked, that they would not miss. Lord, you are the one who has the words of eternal life. Where else could we go? Lord, let us keep our eyes on eternity. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, let us keep pursuing even when it's hard, even when the giants that stand there seem like they never will fall. Lord, let us trust you to continue to do the work in us that destroys the sin around us and in us. And Lord, let us trust you. Let us move forward with you. God, bolster our faith where we doubt. God, show us so kindly, Lord, again and again, your goodness, so that when we are tempted to walk away, when those storms come, God, we would remember your faithfulness in the past and that we would not drift away, but that we would turn our minds to who you are and that we would continue to follow wholeheartedly. It's in your name I pray. Amen.
0: Had so many thoughts after the teaching this week and the discussion in my small group and it brought to light so many other truths and so many other places in Scripture we went but here's what blew my mind most is that God turns them around be their own disobedience he turns them around and he doesn't send them back into the wilderness He leads them back into the wilderness. Yes, they are going to suffer the consequences of their sin, but God did not cease to go with them. God did not cease to lead them. God did not cease to provide for them. God did not cease being God. He is so long suffering. He is so patient. He is so kind. He is so generous. He is so good. And he does the same things for us. Y'all, the story of the Israelites is our story. Way too often, I find myself walking in disobedience. It is the Paul's uh, Romans 7 rant. What I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, I do. But God, he is always there right beside me, picking me up tenderly guiding me, still providing, still walking with me, still good, still patient, still steadfastly loving me. I do not deserve it. And I find myself humbled and grateful for a God who does that. I'll see you next week.